Welcome to Stories About Skin, where we share the human side of skin conditions. I'm Associate Professor Alvin Chong, Specialist Dermatologist at St. Vincent's Hospital Melbourne, the Skin Health Institute, and an academic at the University of Melbourne. I'm the producer and sometimes co-host of the Spot Diagnosis podcast. In this series, Stories About Skin, patients courageously share personal experiences of their illness, from initial symptoms to diagnosis, treatments, and side effects, as well as the impact to their quality of life and mental health. These are heartfelt, honest, and sometimes raw stories of what it is like to live with a debilitating skin condition, but they also offer hope and humor in equal parts. Stories About Skin shares valuable insights and up-to-date information from leading clinicians, including dermatologists, psychologists, and allied health practitioners. We will discuss the facts, dispel the myths, and offer meaningful advice on how to live with serious skin conditions rather than suffer from them. And joining us is Kim Wilson. Kim is a freelance journalist and content creator with more than 25 years experience in news, features, and lifestyle reporting. She worked at the Herald Sun for 17 years while also providing expert commentary on network news and radio. Thank you for joining Spot Diagnosis, Kim. Thank you, Elvin. Great to be here. In this two-part episode, Stories About Skin focuses on eczema, a common and chronic skin disease affecting up to 30% of children and 10% of adults to varying degrees. It can be as mild as flaky, irritated skin to more severe cases, which lead to intensely itchy, weeping and painful abrasions that can affect a patient's mental health just as significantly as their physical health. We talked to Jenny, a mother of seven-year-old Atticus, a young boy who has suffered from eczema since he was one month old. She shares her perspective as a carer and the impact the disease has had on Atticus and their family. Then, 25-year-old long-term severe eczema sufferer Annie joins us to share her experience. Growing through the tough teen years and into adulthood, navigating social media and well-meaning but sometimes misguided family advice on how best to manage serious flare-ups. Welcome to Stories About Skin, Jenny. Do you recall when and how Atticus was diagnosed with eczema? Atticus was one month old when we ended up at our local GP clinic. His face was pretty much welting. We'd put breast milk on there because that's what everyone said to do and it didn't work. If anything, it made it worse. We went to the GP and the GP said that he was too young to prescribe antibiotics and so we had to go to our local emergency department. There they said... It's eczema. It is confirmed. It's not, you know, baby acne or anything like that. And then we started treatment for it. So we were referred through to the children's hospital. We saw an eczema nurse and yeah, treatment started really, really young. Were you shocked at that point with a one month old to find yourself in an emergency department with a child with eczema? Uh, We were. My husband has 
still has really bad eczema. So we sort of did anticipate it, but it was still, you know, heartbreaking at the time seeing how little he was to be that bad. It was it was pretty bad. Yep. When you say bad, are you able to describe what it looked like? Well, it started off as red dots on his face and we were told, you know, wives' tales or it was baby acne and it, it, baby acne probably is a real thing, but that wasn't our experience. They said it was red and it was a little bit dry, so put some um, breast milk on it because it was, you know, the magic for everything and unfortunately for us it wasn't. It started getting sort of like inflamed. It was sticking out. It was lumpy like blisters and then the blisters popped. Yeah, so it was welting all over. It was on his forehead. It was on his cheeks. And so what was the treatment at that point? And then as time went on, what treatment has Atticus had and how has his eczema uh, symptoms manifested? So because he was so young, I know that the doctor in ED, you know, did give us antibiotics and we did do that. But after that, as any sort of mother would, I tried, you know, more natural paths. So he did cutting out diet, like cutting out dairy, cutting out eggs for myself, because then, you know, you get told that that goes through the breast milk. I tried oatmeal bath, manuka, coconut oil before, yeah, we agreed on the steroids. So we did the whole creams. I think it was from Sigma Court, Aristocort, Advantant, Alicon, Novazone. And only recently did we try Deprazone, um, which I believe is quite strong. We did lots of bleach baths and I think that started off at maybe twice a week and it ended up at every second day. This is like a seven-year journey or six, six and a half years journey. So it did take a while to get up to that point. We did wet dressings. Then we're on an immune suppressant oral medication. I think it was called uh, azotharaprin. We did that for six months and unfortunately it didn't really do much of a difference either. And so we're holding Atticus down in the bath every second day for 10 minutes in the bleach bath and he was screaming because it was open wound. It would hurt. But then we got lucky enough to get on to Gipilimab. I think it's a biologic drug through the SEH. It's life-changing. It's made such a big difference. He will have his bath now. We do sport. We've added swimming lessons in, which we couldn't do before because it would sting him. So now he's sort of like a, a more normal kid. So let me take you back uh, a few steps to the bleach baths to start off with. What does that process involve? Because it sounds like an extreme thing to do for anyone, let alone a baby or a toddler or a young child. Yeah. So when we started, it was measuring out a certain amount of bleach um, mixed with water. So we would mark it in the bathtub, like this is how much bleach we use and we fill the bathtub up to a certain amount so that we know the ratios are correct. It's putting him in there. Honestly, I don't think it was too much bleach. I didn't go in, so I'm not really sure. But yeah, you'd put him in there and you just soak him. I think it was to cleanse it so that it didn't affect. Possibly. I'm not a clinician, so I can't, you know, I can't really tell. But yeah, I believe that was the idea. And it must have been quite traumatic. As you said, you had to hold him down for 10 minutes. What was that like? So as he got older, you know, this was done on and off. We didn't do it straight for the whole six years. But as he got older, you know, you bribe him with toys, with lollipops. And even with a lollipop, he didn't want it. I was the only one who was doing it because my husband outright refused to hold him down. And, you know, that's understandable because you don't want to see your child so distressed. And he was distressed for the whole 10 minutes. You know, he's quite strong-willed and quite loud. So, yeah, it, it was a hard thing to do. 
tearing up. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's completely fine and understandable. That would be really, really challenging. Mm. On top of the bleach baths, what other treatments that you've mentioned were particularly difficult and challenging when you're dealing with a child? The wet dressings. So I think we used Tubifast. We made it wet and you'd put it on where his scabs were to go to bed under his clothes. And because it's damp, you would think it would be uncomfortable. Yeah, you know, the bed's sometimes damp, not to mention all the blood that's on the sheets and on his clothes. How extensive was the eczema beyond when he was a baby and it was on his face? How did it present itself as he got older? I believe he has something called uh, discoid eczema. And it was scabs all over his body. It had, it looked like he were, had fallen everywhere. It was all over his legs, his his chest, his back, his arms. And it was really weird because it wasn't red all over. It was just those patches. It was about two to three centimetres each. And he would scratch them and they would bleed. So it was just constant flesh on his skin. Were there periods where he was symptom-free or has he always had symptoms of eczema? I don't think he's ever been symptoms-free. I think it did get better sometimes. I know that sometimes if his asthma got really bad, we'll get like a dose of pred, pred mix, I believe it was called, from the GP. And for some reason, maybe that helped it. I think he was on antibiotics as well if it was infected, which I think it was infected quite a bit. So straight after that, it was fine. But there's only so much antibiotics I you know I could give him um every time we went to the GP the GP would check that he's not overdressed um and would check his eczema even if we were there for something else so we were really lucky to have a a great GP to support us but the treatment itself just wasn't really helpful. So from a day-to-day basis how much time and what was involved in caring for him with eczema? Well initially it was moisturizer three times a day because I think you know that's the first thing that you start with then we were putting once we had the steroid cream it was once a day depending on where it was we couldn't put certain things on his face and only on his body. The bath I mentioned takes 10 minutes and then after that it's lathering him up so you put the like the steroid cream on then the moisturizer on top and if the wet dressing then that's on top. It was it was hard and even when he's off at kinder, I remember his four-year-old kinder year, you know, so I'm not with him and I get a call from his educators because a child has said it was during COVID. So I think the whole, you know, someone's sick and you can be contagious sort of thing. So all the kids were worried about being sick. And yeah, I got a call from his educator saying that a child had stood up in class and said to him, like, you're sick, you should go home. And she was tearing up. And so I was obviously crying. And yeah, then we looked at like sort of books and things to explain to him what to say if someone was to say that to him about, you know, yes, I'm sick, but I'm managing it and I can't make you sick. So I'm okay. And I should be here. Oh, that's so difficult, isn't it? As an adult, that would be a hard thing to manage, but even more so difficult as a child. And I can see that that, you know, with us talking has affected you and still affects you now. Mm. How did it affect him, do you think? Uh, If I'm honest, I think it affected me more than it affected him when, you know, his peer said that to him because he probably just didn't really understand it. It was something that he had lived with, so he didn't know any differently. So, yeah, I think it was was more me. How has it affected him in his own well-being subsequent to that? Because obviously as he gets older, he starts to have a greater understanding of the world around him and how people interact with him. How is he managing that? 
Well, now he is a very happy boy. He'll wear shorts and you can't get him out of shorts. He'll wear t-shirts, whereas before, even though I say it didn't affect him, he would always try to cover it up. So he would wear like long sleeve and long pants even when it's in the summer to go to daycare and to go to kinder. So I I don't know if he was upset about it, but it was just a thing that he always did. And like I did try to speak to him about it and he said, you know, he he just wants to wear long clothes. It's also affected, you know, we couldn't do swimming lessons. So now we do. And he does really well, by the way, for having missed out for so long and just sporting activities you know now he comes home from taekwondo and he's like oh mommy I sweat and I'm like wow you know where (laughs) (laughs) so yeah yeah so he's actually now able to participate in normal activities that young boys like to participate in because of the introduction of the new drug yes so we are really lucky. I know that when the drugs were discussed with us, it was a possibility that he wouldn't be on it. It was, I believe, due to the cost. So it's not on PBS, it's not on Medicare for kids under 11. And I know this because I've done a whole lot of research about it. So it was only on Medicare maybe the last year or two for people over 11. And because he was six at the time, like it was going to be really, really expensive for us to get onto it. I think it was 1800 for maybe two injections, which would last him two months because he has monthly injections. But yeah, we got really lucky. We got on a program like a compassionate supply program through the RCH with the drug supplier um, itself. And so it's been life changing. How do you feel about the fact that you've had to go through so many hoops to get access to this drug that is actually transforming your son's life? I actually feel really bad because, you know, I I think I'm quite an active parent and, you know, I'd seek it out. But say those who, where English is their second language or, you know, they've just been told by their GP, this is, this is the most that we can do. You know, I had to ask for a specialist referral as opposed to being, you know, this is the path. So I only asked because I knew that, you know, there is specialist skin doctors, whereas, I think just your average person may not, you know, you trust what your GP says. And like I said, my GP is great. You know, I'm not discounting him whatsoever, but yeah, you just don't know about it. And even when you do go see a specialist, you're jumping through hoops to get it. There's questionnaires that you've got to fill out. You're applying for it. It's not a sure thing. Yeah, it's hard. Personally, I think it's pretty crappy. Like it's it's not, it's great that my child is being helped. Um, and I, I actively talk about it. So if anyone was to say, you know, oh, I've got really bad eczema, my school pickup, or, you know, my kid has it really bad. I tell them, I'm like, go see your GP, ask for a referral and ask to get on this drug. And he has to have monthly injections. How does that happen? Who does it? And how does he react? He, yes, he has to have monthly injections. I do it. My husband refuses, although he also has the injections. He has fortnightly injections. So every month I line them both up. We do my husband first so that Atticus can see. And, you know, we, my husband actually has a needle sort of phobia. So he freaks out and he tries to remain really, really calm so that Atticus sees it and, you know, thinks that it's okay. Yeah, I line them up, do the whole cleansing the area, and I inject it. It's a syringe. There's a big spring in it. So you can only do it so fast. I think it's over 10 seconds that it's in there. There's lots of bribing. There's always a toy after it. Like we, 
our local Big W were there once a month just so he can pick any toy. Although the toy has gotten smaller over the last couple of months because initially it was like, get any toy you want, like even if it's a, a laser tag gun. And I am, you know, I'm quite against the whole guns. Um, but it was like to that point where you can get anything you want. And now we're, you know, dialing it down a little bit because it's, um, I think it's a drug that he's going to be on for a long time, I believe. Does he see the benefit in taking it? He definitely does. We went through, I believe, a month with like there was something wrong with the script so we didn't have the drugs and it started to flare up straight away. So he knows that it helps him and he agrees to do it. It's just getting over the fear of the injection. Once it's done he's and he's got his toy, he's happy. Was Atticus the victim of bullying at any stage due to his eczema? Not so much bullying, but when he started primary school, you know, they have to wear closed-toe shoes and our eczema nurse, because it's also on his feet, said, you know, it's better if you just wear socks and sandals. So we did have to get that to happen. And for a little while, you know, he, he feels like excluded like not excluded but he feels different to the others he's also really allergic to dust mites so we had to put him on a chair so you know instead of sitting on the ground with all the other kids he was on a chair so I don't think he was really bullied but him himself probably felt different. Has your husband's experience with eczema been similar to your son's experience? I can't recall exactly when it started for him but it was quite young And then he was told that when he turns 18, it was like going to be a magic age where his eczema would just go away because you're an adult and it's really mainly in kids. You generally grow out of it. He didn't grow out of it. And because we'd seen that he'd had it for so long, we sort of just assumed that Atticus would have it forever as well. And I know that, you know, he still has it now, but it's very well managed and there's no red marks, there's no scabs. There's some that were really, really bad scabs that are healing, but he's pretty much good. So the two experiences are really, really different um, because my husband went through it for, what, 30 years, um, whereas Addie will able to get on top of it, granted, six years later. But we feel like, you know, it, it's light at the end of the tunnel, like it does work. There is something that does work. Do you think having dad experience it normalises it a little bit for Atticus as well? I think it does. Um, but there's also that sort of burden and, you know, guilt that you're passing it on to your kid from dad's perspective. For Atticus, it was, yeah, you know, it normalises it. And I think a lot of kids have eczema. Quite a, you know, every second or third kid we meet, they've got eczema to some sort of extent, but it's not always as bad as what Atticus was. People were used to look at him and they'll be like, whoa. Whereas, you know, sort of normal eczema, everyone's like, oh yeah, that's eczema. So different scales. But yeah, it it did normalise it a little bit. And you have two subsequent children. Were you fearful that they might suffer from eczema as well? Yes. My just turned four-year-old eczema is sort of just starting to come for her. I thought we got lucky because we got past the one month and it didn't happen. We got past the one year and it was fine. But yes, I am really scared. Yeah. How is her eczema starting to show through? Hers is quite typical. So it's Uh, in the joints where, you know, it could possibly get sweaty. It's a little bit red. It itches and then she scratches and then it bleeds. And so we, we've got the creams at home and we just put it on her. Like I haven't been to seeing anyone for Scarlet specifically, but I feel like I've, you know, got all the creams and I know what the process is. Um, and we've, we've started it to, you know, get on top of it straight away. 
Does it make you feel more confident managing hers having been through it with Atticus? It does, but I'm probably like, I need a little bit of hand-holding. I'm a bit worried, you know, am I starting the steroids too early because with Atticus we held off for quite some time or is it, you know, just getting on top of it um, straight away? So I do do it, but yeah, then I wonder, oh, at what point do we see a specialist for it? And have you ever looked to social media or the internet for information around eczema and how helpful has that been for you? There are heaps of social media pages and stuff that talks about different types of eczema and um, what they do to combat it. But I don't know, I try not to look at it now because it's sort of just, it's really bad. (laughs) Um, There's just, there's so much information out there that I think is wrong. So I've decided to just trust the doctors that are that are there for science as opposed to just what every Harry, Larry, Joe thinks. Yeah. It's, it's confusing. I can imagine. And in terms of medical practitioners, is there anything you'd like them to know that would make your experience dealing with eczema better to understand? I, I think all the clinicians that I've dealt with either have kids of their own or are just empathetic to the point where they know what you need. I'm grateful that I don't have to keep repeating myself about the treatment that we've done because generally there is a continuity of care there. So, you know, I've seen the GP for so long and then I've gone through and been through on the system for at RCH. It was hard getting a referral from the GP as in to be seen at the hospital. There is a wait and I understand that, you know, it's a public service, but I think once we were seen, it all escalated a lot faster than I thought it would, probably because of how severe his eczema was. In terms of what I wish the clinicians knew, I'm not sure. I think they've been good. They've been great. What about people in general, friends, family, the community? Is there information that you think would be helpful for them to know when they encounter people that have eczema? Yes, that you don't have to live with it. You know, we always thought, especially going through my husband, that you had to live with it. And I think that there are drugs out there that can help, that can do better. And it's just knowing who to go see and what the process is. I've been through it with my husband where we weren't referred through the children's hospital because he was, you know, an adult. So calling around to all the dermatology clinics in the area just to get on a wait list to see somebody to help you. Like it's it's a long process. I think it was about four months before he managed to get an appointment to see a dermatologist. So even though it takes a long time, it's so worth it. My husband's probably not the most patient person in the world. You know, he was a little bit like, oh, it's not going to work. Like, just don't worry. I'm, I'm, you know, I've lived with it. So like, don't worry about it. And then he'll go through cycles where it would get really, really bad. And then it would sort of ease off and it would get really, really bad again. So he was just in the mentality of, I'm going to live with this for the rest of my life. And he's so much better now. So the wait to see somebody and then jumping through all the hoops, all the questionnaires is, is worth it because your quality of life is a lot better. Did it surprise you the impact that eczema could have on a person's life beyond just the physical symptoms of eczema? It's a big emotional toll as well. So besides, you know, just the marks on your skin and how itchy and irritating and uncomfortable it is, because I know that Atticus um, would struggle to fall asleep because of how itchy and irritated he was. It makes, it's sort of like an all-rounder because you're irritated, you probably eat less, you'd sleep less, your emotions aren't all there, you're not confident 
for a condition that that happens to so many people, um, it can affect you quite severely. We've talked about the impact that it's had on your son and your husband, but you carry a lot of the responsibility and the care for both of them. So it actually impacts people beyond the sufferers themselves, doesn't it? Well, the sheet changing (laughs) was a lot because there's bloodstains everywhere. It is a lot more work at home. But yeah, like it it sucks when you get a call from your son's educator saying somebody had said this to him in class and that child was not being malicious in any way. It's just, you know, what they saw and what they felt. That emotionally is hard. It's your baby and, you know, people are being, they're being treated differently. They're being told that they don't belong here. And being a mum to three is hard enough work on its own without the routine that we've talked about of the bathing and the dressing and the moisturising and all those sorts of things. How have you managed to care for yourself through that period? Look, I'm, I'm lucky. I work part-time. I don't know how people that do it, if they're working full-time, because it's also a lack of sleep thing. Or if anyone was to do it as a single parent, it would be really, really hard without the support. How I self-care. I bake a lot of cookies. Um, <laughs> I try to, you know, get out as much as I can. It's a bit of me time as well. But you find that even when I go out, I'm talking about my kids and I hate it when people do that, but I do it as well. Um, I don't know. It's always on the on the back of my mind. Of my mind. Yep. It must have been a huge relief then when Dupixent came onto the scene for you, for your son and your husband. It was a massive relief knowing that something does work. But I think I've expressed this before, like we're lucky enough to know about it, to ask for it. If you don't know about it, you don't know what to ask for. You don't know that there's something there to help you. So I actively tell everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny, thank you so much for sharing your family's story. No worries. I'm happy to. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Ever wondered what the Skin Health Institute does? At the Skin Health Institute based in Melbourne, we aim to improve skin health for all our patients and the research we conduct shapes clinical treatment and practice. We provide over 30,000 patient treatments each year and also deliver exceptional education programs for dermatologists, registrars and healthcare workers. We provide specialist training for visiting international medical graduates, workshops to upskill GPs and medical students, and public education programs aimed at improving skin health in the community. The Institute also conducts clinical trials and research projects that are published and presented internationally. We make substantial contributions to the worldwide clinical care and management of skin diseases, skin cancer and melanoma, and are recognized globally for our medical research. We have multiple clinics for GPs to directly refer patients to. GPs can complete our online referral form available on our website at skinhealthinstitute.com org.au slash patient referrals or email referrals to referrals at skinhealthinstitute.org.au. Annie is one of the unlucky patients whose childhood eczema has continued with full force into adulthood. But she too has been prescribed Dupixent and it has quite literally changed her life. Welcome to Stories About Skin, Annie. It's lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. And how has the eczema presented for you? 
So for me, it kind of pops up all over my body. And then I think ever since I was young, it migrated from kind of behind my knees, in between my elbows, to across my face, across my arms, along my back, the front of my body. It never really was always in the same place and always kind of manifest in the same way. So it could have been back in the day, small rashes, and then at some point evolved into cracks and like big areas where it would look like kind of like a wound, like an open wound, and then it would bleed. It's kind of manifested in all sorts of ways throughout my life. That must have been really painful. Thinking back, yes. I think at the time I just accepted it for what it was. But now I think after going through different types of treatments and the eczema slowly being less apparent on my body after the treatments, I've realised how, I guess, painful it was dealing with it on a day-to-day basis, yeah. And as a child, that must have been quite difficult for you too, I imagine. The, the most difficult part, I think, was probably through puberty and as I grow up and then becoming an adult. I think that was the hardest bit. I think as like a teen, you're probably the most self-conscious. And then as an adult, I felt like my eczema got worse and it became something that was more apparent like on my face and then that was harder to hide. So maybe as a child, I was able to kind of hide the eczema, whether wearing long sleeves or like just wearing like long pants. But I think it affected me the most when it moved from areas I can hide it to somewhere where I couldn't hide it. Did you understand why it evolved that way and how it became worse as you got older? No, I don't think I ever kind of knew why or there was an explanation around why it evolved. I think stress was a factor. There were times where I felt like my eczema was seasonal, but if it was seasonal, then I expected to kind of die down a bit at certain points. And then it got to the point where the eczema didn't really go away. And then that's when I thought, okay, maybe it's not seasonal. Maybe it's due to stress or maybe it's something, it was things I ate. So lots of hypotheses from myself, but never really a true explanation of why it kind of went from something that just kind of there to something bigger and more painful and very obviously there as part of my life. How did you manage that during that period? It was really hard. I remember like there were days where I think I just didn't want to get out of bed. So I knew that it was probably affecting my mental health a bit. So I was lucky that at work they have like an employee assistance program where I could speak to somebody. So like not only was I able to maybe address some of the stress I was feeling, but also kind of talked about how like excellent might have kept me up at night, the pain I felt dealing with it. And then also like going to dermatologists, but then trying different treatments didn't work. And then I think at that time, I remember trying like a specific medication and it being quite painful, like it would burn throughout the day. And that was pretty hard to deal with. And also just kind of thinking that, wow, like I'm going through so many different types of treatments, but nothing was working. I was feeling more pain. And at the time, the worst was around like during COVID lockdown, I remember. And then the doctor said, I would put you on immunosuppressants, but then that would mean that you'll be more susceptible to getting COVID. So there was that kind of conflict. It's like, oh, I could feel a bit better from taking immunosuppressants. However, what 
would that cost be? Like, what if I get COVID? I don't want to pass the COVID on to my parents, my friends, my roommate who I was living with. So all of that was kind of at play during that time. So it was physical. I felt like the pain that I felt when like I was bleeding or like it was itchy and I scratched it. But it was also, I think there was quite a bit of a mental health impact I felt through my experience with eczema. Could you ever have imagined that eczema could lead to so many and varied consequences? No, never. As a kid, I would I thought it was just something I'll deal with. Like it might be itchy. I'll just put some cream on it, call it a day. But as time went by, it creeped up slowly. I felt it wasn't something I noticed straight away. Only when it got to a point, almost like a breaking point, only then did I realize that, wow, like the build up and how it's kind of evolved and how I've kind of had to deal with it. Only then did I realize, oh, wow, eczema is not just a physical like thing that I have. And also I think when I saw Elvin the first time, he said, oh, you're part of like next steps for treatment. You have to do this survey. And then the survey was actually quite, he didn't focus purely on the physical side of eczema. It was a lot of quality of life factors. And that also kind of made me realize that eczema is not just about the pain that I felt physically, but it was also about the quality of life and I guess how eczema can really take away from my quality of life that I ended up kind of realizing fully at that point. So yeah, I think it took me a while to realize it, but also I'm glad that I am able to realize it. And then, well, now that after kind of the whole Dupixent eczema treatment, I'm able to kind of compare the quality of life I had before to the quality of life that I have now. And that has made me kind of not take what I have granted for now. And yet it makes me reflect back to how I was before I realized how bad it was. That's a really, really powerful insight. Thanks, Annie. You mentioned there was a breaking point. At what point was that? How long ago? And how did how did you know you were at a breaking point? I think it was around 2021, I'd say, I think. I knew that it was the breaking point because I was willing to try anything. Before that, like between like seven and maybe around... 20 years old, 20, 21, 22, something like that, my early 20s, I didn't really want to see a dermatologist because I had a bad experience with a previous dermatologist. So I was like, yeah, if I can just live with my eczema and just kind of manage the symptoms as they come, as long as it's not impacting my life, I'll be fine. And then one day I realized that it was really impacting my life when I realized that I didn't want to get out of bed because I was in so much pain. And then also the fact that I went to actively search for a dermatologist, something that I was kind of against doing at one point. I've chatted to my friends. I try different, like they call them elimination diets, where perhaps, you know, if you stop eating one thing, then your eczema will go away. Tried taking supplements, tried herbal medicine, my mom even bought me a crystal that was meant to help with uh, help with skin conditions. I was open to that. 
Although in my mind, it didn't logically make sense. <laughs> just reading about it all the time, just literally tried anything to try and combat whatever, I guess, was I guess manifesting and becoming worse. So that's when I knew that it got pretty bad. And I remember also just kind of feeling really defeated and thinking, wow, I don't think I'm ever going to get better. I don't, at that point, I didn't want to get better. I just wanted to get slightly better. Even that would be great. And any sort of, I guess, moments where I would feel okay, that was, it became rare. And that's when I knew, wow, like it got pretty bad. I think at one point I remember like, the skin around my neck, eczema was affecting me so bad that I couldn't even turn my neck. I remember that pretty clearly. And that was a really painful day. I remember I didn't want to get out of bed to go to work. I called in sick. And then also I did feel that my, like, the quality of my work was also going down because I just couldn't concentrate on the work itself. Social-wise, well, we couldn't really socialize because of COVID. I don't know if that was kind of a factor that also played into it. But yeah, that was, I remember that being a pretty tough moment. I think it was around August, August before the lockdown lifted. Like, I think the, the first lockdown lifted, but we're going through that massive lockdown. So I think it was, tw- I want to say 2021, August. So I'm going to ask you in a minute about mm. the treatments that have really helped you now. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to go back a step. You mentioned Mm. that you'd had a bad experience with the dermatologist. Do you mind Mm. talking about that experience and why it had a negative impact on you? Yeah, for sure. So when I knew I had eczema, I was around seven or eight, and I remember seeing a doctor at the Royal Children's and they kind of helped me with some treatments, I remember. And for some reason, we only went there a couple of times. And then after that, we kind of stopped. And then we went to see a private dermatologist at a private clinic. He was referred by my GP at the time. And I can't remember how old I was, but I think I was in my teens, like 14, 15, I think. And I remember him saying, you just need to finish this course of cortisone You just need to put it on and that's all you need to do. It's simple because you didn't do this, therefore you're like this. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I can't. I've been warned by so many doctors from when I was an infant to like 13 to 14 or 15 that I can't just put on cortisone nonstop. I remember it was like a tube a day and it felt really odd. And I think when I was young, I didn't realise I didn't know how to speak up. I didn't know how to ask the right questions. Even if it was the right treatment at the time, it felt wrong. And maybe it was the right treatment. I I wouldn't know. And also felt like the way that it was delivered, I felt kind of powerless. And I did try the treatment and it didn't really take it anywhere. And I remember going back to the doctor and he said, well, you know, maybe you didn't do it right. You need to keep persisting. And the reason why you're not getting better is because you're not doing enough. And then that just felt kind of, I think that stuck with me quite a bit because I felt like I was doing 
what I was being told, yet I wasn't getting better. And I was trying to, I guess, get his professional opinion, but I felt like I was just being shut down for something that I couldn't control. So that was a really bad experience. And that kind of put me off dermatologists for a bit. And I thought if I could just, if all I needed was some cortisone, I'll just go to my GP. If I just needed some creams, if I just needed some advice on the type of moisturizer I needed, I'll just go to my GP, go on the internet. And so that kind of lasted for a couple of years, maybe for a decade or so, before the eczema kind of flared up even more and even worse. And that kind of got me, that pushed me to see a dermatologist again. And then I had to tell myself that was one experience. I'm not going to see the same person again. And dermatologists at the end of the day are the professionals that I should go and see, get their professional opinion. And I have a great friend who also has eczema. So she's also dealt with eczema most of her life. And she said, look, like it doesn't hurt to go see them once or twice just to get their professional opinion. There are different types of creams out there. There's different types of treatments. It's not just one treatment. You should go and check them out, see what they say. And she said, at the end of the day, just doesn't hurt to try. And that's when I kind of went in to see the dermatologist and kind of expressed why maybe I haven't really seen a dermatologist in so long and where my status was at. So yeah, that's kind of my whole seeing a dermatologist journey. That would have taken a lot of courage to revisit after your negative experience as a teenager. How important is a doctor's attitude to a patient with eczema? I think it's super important. And for me, it doesn't matter if it's a dermatologist or GP or any other specialist. I feel like the attitude of a doctor and how they approach treating a patient, I think that is really important. I think that helps me trust the process and it really helps me to believe that, to believe in myself that I'm here to get treatment and I should believe that I can get better. Otherwise, this is very, I guess, personal to me. I feel like when I saw Elvin, the bit that kind of made me feel like there is hope was that he was willing to listen. He heard that I had a bad experience with previous dermatologists and that I wanted to try different sorts of treatments. And I really felt like he listened And then that he also wanted to work together to make sure that I was comfortable with the types of treatments I was getting and that there was hope there, there could be a light at the end of the tunnel. Whereas I think when I was a teenager, that doctor was kind of just implying that this was the one and only way. If not this way, then there's no other way. There's nothing that we can do for you. That was the sort of impression I got. So... In that sense, I felt that the doctor's attitude and being open to what the patient's needs are and kind of treating around the patient, I feel like is quite important. And that's what I look for in a doctor, I would say, if I do 
see a doctor for various different things. And I also really liked, this is a very personal thing as well, but I really like it when doctors explain their methods or like why they do certain things. So for example, the reason why I like my GP, although she's kind of a bit far away, is that she goes, okay, we'll do this first because we need to find out this. And then once we've found out X, say, then we'll move on to Y. And then I'm going by process of elimination. So I love how she has told me that and she's preempted me for what's to come. And then she's kind of, this is her approach, trust in me, trust in the process, and we'll get there. So that's kind of, yeah, that's what I feel like is approach that works for me and I prefer when it comes to seeing health professionals. That's awesome insight. (laughs) Thanks, Annie. (laughs) So let's go to the treatments that you've tried over your journey with eczema. What have I tried? (laughs) So ever since I was young, I think the first thing was probably different types of steroids, cortisones, and I kind of stuck through that most of my life. And at one point I thought that that probably wasn't the most sustainable option because apparently my friend, she also had, this is another friend, um, she had eczema and then she got cataracts because her doctor told her she was using too much cortisone around her eyes. I don't know if that is a thing. I don't know if it was proven. She just told me. And then that kind of got me a bit scared about cortisone. And then from there, I've tried, I feel I'm going to screw the name up of the medicine, but I think it's called tacrolimus, I think. So a non-cortisone treatment, but that didn't work out because it just didn't suit me. I was feeling a lot of pain from that sort of treatment. So from there, I also tried UV therapy. And after that, I am now on Depixent. And in between, there's the stuff that I was talking about. So trying different creams, trying to kind of pinpoint if it was like a food-related trigger. I've tried, well, my mom bought me those crystals. <laughs> I've tried herbal medicine. I've tried acupuncture. Someone said that acupuncture, if you get it on a certain pressure point, it will help with eczema. What else have I tried? I've tried beauty, like facial sort of stuff. I've tried supplements. I think that's it. That's a lot. Did you find along the way that any of those relieved any symptoms? Was there any sort of positives that came out of it? I did feel that trying different creams, sometimes it could alleviate symptoms for sure, but there were only kind of very mild alleviations. And I felt like they came back and they came back stronger in sometimes so it was hard to keep up on getting creams that were thicker more moisturizing and it got to the point where I think I was sleeping in like Vaseline (laughs) I don't think any of what I did really made a big impact so the kind of things I mean I love talking about the crystal because it was so bizarre. The crystal did nothing. I remember saying that apparently you need to water the crystal because if you don't water it, then your body's also going to run out of moisture. And thinking about <laughs> it now, that was pretty wild. <laughs> anyway, but that didn't work. I felt like food, food-wise, I think people were trying to 
encourage me and say, oh, you know, it could be working. I think it might be working. Uh, The change was so minimal and it was hard to sustain. I think you had to like remove like large food groups out of the diet. You can only eat a very small list of things. And because of that, it wasn't sustainable. And whether it did it really work or not, I'm not too sure. I didn't really have sort of a very scientific method to kind of track it to really see if a big change was kind of evident. So other than that, what else? What else did I talk about? So the creams that doctors prescribed, UV therapy. UV therapy, I felt like, did work. It was something that Alvin suggested that I should try. It did work, but it will work for maybe a couple of days. The flare-ups would be a bit more toned down for a couple of days before it would come back again. And I remember needing to go and do the UV therapy, I think, three times a week just to kind of keep it at bay. But also doing the UV therapy... I felt like it wasn't also sustainable because it's not something that you can do long term. It will make you more susceptible to like skin cancer and so on. So there was that fear always at the back of my mind. Like if I were to stop UV therapy, what would happen? Like the marginal sort of relief I would get, is it (laughs) worth getting skin cancer in the end? Obviously, I felt like Alvin would have the dermatologist would have said, okay, I think you need to stop. We can't have you go on doing UV treatments every three days for the rest of your life. So that was a scary moment thinking something is working kind of maybe, but I can't be on it forever. It's not sustainable. And then kind of thinking, oh, what should I do next? I think it's interesting some of the 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 ways that you tried to alleviate your symptoms potentially have negative side effects, i.e. affecting your diet. You know, you're talking about the UV. I guess that shows the lengths that you're willing to go to to try and relieve the symptoms of the eczema. Yeah, 100%. I was willing to try anything once to see if it would make an impact. And even if it was marginal, even if it was minimal, it was better than nothing. Any relief any sorts of any sort of hope at that point meant something and I was willing to grab onto it hoping that it would somehow make this whole eczema journey or end the eczema journey really and on the internet you would read oh eczema is not curable you'll never know when it's going to flare up again so trying to counter that expectation and counter those sort of I guess more pessimistic thoughts in my mind after reading that it yeah I think it was definitely yeah just trying to hold on to any string any straw any pieces of hope anywhere really that was kind of my experience in the last couple of years I'd say and how has Depixent impacted your eczema and your life (sighs) me and my friends we like to call it a miracle drug (laughs) that's what we've called it so she started to pick some, this friend, she started to pick some for me and she said, ask your doctor, see if he can get it for you, try it. It's, it's amazing. And I said to her, okay, I will have a look, I'll have a look, ask and got on it. it. I would say it's life changing. So it went from the areas of my life, which I felt like my quality of life has increased would be 
I feel like I can now go and exercise and previously I would sweat and it would aggravate my eczema. My whole body will be in pain because the sweat would kind of touch the cracks and the wounds and that would really be super painful. So if I say went for a run or I went to, I don't know, a fitness class, the whole time I'll be thinking about how much pain I'm in and I wasn't really focusing on the actual exercise and I wouldn't be able to perform my best because all I'll be thinking about is the pain from eczema. So that really has changed my life. I feel like now I can go out, exercise, I can sweat and I won't be in pain. I'm able to kind of, I guess, be more physically active. And I felt like being physically active has also helped with mental health. It's made me feel, I guess, better in my body. And overall, just not having eczema and needing to cover it up all the time. I think that was a sign that I was able to be more confident in my skin, can wear what I want. I'm not stuck with trying to find clothes that are 100% cotton. 100% cotton clothes are nice, don't get me wrong, but at least I feel like I'm not limited to certain things that I need to do. What else? Mental health has been a huge one. So like Depixent has made the eczema better and in turn, I do feel like it's impacted a lot of things in my life and my mental health is so much better. And me personally, I do quite value my own mental health and like, and it is a very important part of my life, I feel, and I feel like should be for everyone. And yeah, I think it's been a huge uplift in my life since starting to pick scent. The first three months, the change was so big. It was huge. It went from kind of seeing red all over my body to now seeing almost no red on my body. And I went to see my GP and I hadn't seen her for a couple of months. And she said, well, your skin looks great. What happened? And I said, oh, I started to pick scent. I remember thinking that it was around three months because I would see like my friends frequently. And um, I, I remember being at that three month stage and just feeling great. Like there was no more pain. There was no kind of, I guess, obvious sort of flare-ups. I I remember seeing no more blood on my clothes and there was, so at the peak of my eczema, I remember just having blood on my like bed sheets. So that was gone. I remember one day thinking, oh my gosh, I'm washing my bed sheets and I don't have blood on my sheets. And that was when I think it hit me that, wow, like, I think it's working. That's huge. So from what you've said to to this point, eczema had caused you to compromise your social and professional lives. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say so to a certain extent. Yeah. And do you think it's impacted your relationships with people as well? I would say so. Yeah. It's hard. I think when I had eczema and my friends would say, oh, like, it's fine, it doesn't look that bad, or they, I felt like they were trying to console me if I ever talked about it. And I think people would tiptoe around 
kind of this topic. And I felt like my relationship with my parents at one point were quite strained because I remember thinking everything that I said about my appearance, I would be very defensive and I would say, well, I can't help it. I have eczema. It's not something that I can control. And that was really hard because I felt like it was a bit unfair and it was just out of my control. They would say things like, oh, you can just put on some more cream. Why don't you, you know, um, try this, try that. And I would feel like I had to kind of step away, didn't really want to talk to them and kind of retreat to like just kind of my room by myself because I didn't want to kind of deal with needing to have that conversation and whenever I remember talking about any sorts of treatments for eczema it was really hard because I didn't feel like many people understood kind of what I had already tried and it was hard to explain that it's not as simple as just taking a pill putting on a cream and then that was the end of it at that stage and in that sense I did feel that Maybe I did pull away from talking to people and didn't really want to kind of socialise sometimes because of that. And also just, I think, being wary of my appearance, that definitely affected how I interacted with people. I think my self-esteem really was kind of low during the peak of when I had like the worst sort of eczema I had. So having low self-esteem, low self-worth, it did impact how I interacted with people and how close I thought they wanted to kind of be friends or co-workers or like whatever it was because I felt like my eczema would make them not want to kind of be friends with me at one point. Thinking back, it's probably not true, but I think at that point I associated those, like kind of my eczema and being less, what's that word? Being not worthy or like kind of, yeah, all the kind of low self-esteem talk I was giving to myself. That's so brave of you to share those experiences. You're obviously coming through the other side now. Do you see your future differently now that the eczema is not such a problem for you? Yeah, 100%. Like, I guess the first thing would be for work, I know that I'm not going to be thinking constantly about the pain because the pain is gone. I'm not going to wake up not being able to turn my neck um, and being comfortable with my own skin, not worried about how maybe, you know, on a shared desk in the office might flare up my eczema. I think that that those sorts of, I guess, thoughts, anxiety or just physical pain now that it's gone I can comfortably just kind of 
do the day-to-day things that I want to do. And so, yeah, being able to exercise, do sports, hang out with friends, doing physical activity, go on hikes, go to like fitness classes. Those were things that I didn't think that I could really do. I had to wait until my eczema was wasn't as bad or my eczema wasn't kind of kind of I guess flaring up. It wasn't cracked in order to or sometimes I remember if my friends say, oh let's do something in two weeks time. I remember thinking, all right, I'm gonna bump up the amount of creams I was using. I need to make sure that I was taking like I think like salt and like bleach baths, make sure my skin was in the best condition it could be so that I could do certain activities down the track, planning far in advance that I could do one thing. And knowing that after that one activity or event that my eczema was going to flare up and I had to kind of deal with the after effects of whatever happened. So not needing to do that anymore is amazing. So, yeah, so I think it has definitely changed my life for the better. The quality of life, the the improvement of my quality of life, I'd say, has been immense. That's fantastic. Annie, have you ever looked to social media for information to help alleviate your eczema? Oh, yeah, 100%. I remember searching up keywords like eczema, eczema diagnosis, eczema treatments, and on social media I did find that there was a lot of kind of ads, influences, those sort of things that are um, like ad endorsements, product endorsements where influencers or maybe on Instagram people would say, oh, I have I had eczema and this is the treatment I went through and this is the cream I used. And whenever I see that, I remember thinking, oh, is this real? Should I try this? And at the sort of worst point, of eczema, I think I did see someone post about like kind of supplements that helped with eczema. And I remember I said to a friend, hey, we both have eczema, do you want to try this? And we actually bought it and we tried it. And I didn't feel like it worked, but i um, glad I tried it. I don't think there was any, I think, bad effects afterwards, hopefully. But I also remember seeing on YouTube, actually, Depixent, was I think on there was this trial for Depixent ages ago I think this was like three four years ago they just started doing human trials I remember seeing a social media person a YouTuber that I followed and he was trying Depixent and I just remember him showing what his skin looked like before and the impacts on him and then the after effects of trying to fix it and it was it looked like it was working but I knew that to fix it was something that was available here and then so that was quite interesting and I think that's well something that also pushed me to try to fix it because three four years ago this person tried it and it was a game changer for him and then hearing other people try to fix it and then it kind of pushed me to say, okay, maybe I'll try to fix it. But in terms of, I guess, social media, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. It can be good, it can be bad. And I feel like 
sometimes seeing other people succeed or like do something and they didn't have to go through rounds and rounds of treatment and it was just a bath soak that somehow made them better that also kind of sometimes made me feel upset that how come my eczema's so bad that this can't help like how come this treatment isn't helpful how come it worked for this person but it's not working for me how come these supplements worked for hundreds of people yet it's not working for me so yes it can be good for seeing the light at the end of the tunnel but i do feel like it can also depending on the day i guess it could also be kind of a bit of a downer sometimes when you see that you're doing the same thing but you're not getting the same results i feel like we've covered a lot of ground annie is there anything else you would like to share about your uh, experience with eczema or any tips that you could give anyone around that, that may be suffering from eczema tips i'd say if i personally read a lot on the internet i would be on a lot of like eczema forums trying to find people who shared the same experience as me. But everyone's journey is a little different. Everyone's eczema doesn't come up in the same way. I'd say that if you had a bad experience with a dermatologist, don't be afraid to kind of, well, that sounds really bad, but shop around. But try different dermatologists, get different opinions. And yeah, I'll say that, you know, whatever it is, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And even if a treatment doesn't work, even if it's a marginal sort of instant improvement and it's it's kind of, it's part of the journey and hopefully, yeah, whoever it is, I hope they find the right treatment for them so that they can kind of be relieved of all the eczema pain because no one deserves to go through it. Thank you so much, Annie. Thanks for having me. Hearing these very personal stories about skin gives meaningful and authentic insight into the challenges of living with eczema and the medical journey patients must navigate. In the second part to this episode, we talk to Associate Professor Elvin Chong, paediatric dermatologist Dr Susan Robertson, and psychologist Associate Professor Ross King about some of the most frequently asked questions, how to sift fact from fiction, as well as expert information on treatment options, the impact of diet and other allergies, mental health, and the potentially life-changing benefits of a new range of biological treatments for severe eczema. I would like to thank the education team at the Skin Health Institute. Remember, these podcasts are not meant to replace medical advice. If you have a skin condition that requires attention, we strongly encourage you to see your medical practitioner. For listeners who want information on this subject, a transcript of this episode and links to other resources can be found on our website, spotdiagnosis.org.au. Please share Spot Diagnosis with your friends and colleagues. Rate and review us. Let us know what you think. We would really appreciate your feedback and any suggestions. Also, just to remind you that Spot Diagnosis is eligible for RACGP and Acrum CPD. Thanks for listening. The 
Skin Health Institute would like to thank our exclusive institute partner, Melbourne Pathology, for their support of the Spot Diagnosis podcast.